How you doing? My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Thanks for joining us in the worship guide this morning. So like I mentioned the last couple times on here, for the next few weeks, I'm going to be giving a few short devotions from the book of Hebrews, which is a book in the New Testament. So, so this morning we're going to be looking at Hebrews uh, chapter 5, verse 11, ver- through chapter 6, verse 3. So just a few verses this morning. So so if you don't have your Bible in front of you, how about, again, how about you press pause on this, go get your Bible, bring it back, and then you can just be, so that you can be looking at this uh, in the Bible that you read on your own. And um, it's good to not just take my word for it. So here it goes. So chapter 5, verse 11, and I'm using the NIV here. Verse 11 says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, Instruction about cleansing rites, which basically that's talking about baptisms. The laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and an eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So, spoiler alert, I am not going to suck the marrow out of this passage, but I just want to mainly focus on one big idea, and and that is... What do you do when you come to a passage in the the Bible that's confrontational like this in Hebrews? What do you do when you come to a passage in the Bible like this that's confrontational like this in Hebrews? Particularly when you're reading the Bible on your own. So first of all, and maybe this is obvious, but you should probably make sure that you generally understand what the passage is saying in a big picture kind of way you know because if you i mean there have been times in my life where i have been reading the bible on my own and there's a certain confrontational kind of passage um that i read and i'm really convinced about what it says and the applications of it and i just feel really guilty and convinced about what i should do and like that kind of things and but then i find out at a later point it's like i was just reading that totally wrong Okay, like in a fundamental kind of way, I was reading it wrong. So make sure that you generally understand what the passage says. And you don't need to be an expert on every nuance and everything about what it says, but just in a big picture way, what is it saying? If you are confused about something, about what a confrontational kind of passage is trying to say, asking your small group leader if they have a study Bible might be a really good start for that. But let's assume that you do understand the passage reasonably well. So in that case, there are typically four ways that people tend to respond to a confrontational passage like this in Hebrews. And that is either through pride, through self-determination, through despair, or through the gospel. Now, some of you might be thinking, like, how does Aaron know so much about this? That's because 
I've lived all of these things. So it's through personal experience. So, so first, um, when you come to a confrontational passage like this, for example, in Hebrews, first, you can respond in pride. You can respond in pride. So you read a passage like this in Hebrews and more or less you shot block it because that passage is for other people and not for me. Like they're talking about somebody else. Like I'm totally fine, NBD. So if that's the way that you tend to think about passages like this when you come across them in the Bible, I'd encourage you to take a few minutes to just reflect on who it is that, who the God is that you worship and follow. Just take a couple minutes and just reflect on that. So the God that you're thinking about, just think about what he's like. And does that God that you worship and follow, does he ever disagree with you about anything? Because if your God agree, just really, really always agrees with every thought you have and every sensibility you have and every viewpoint you have and every action you have, then you might not be worshiping the God of the Bible. You might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. So you can respond in pride. Another way you can respond, number two, you can respond in self-determination. Like you read a passage like this in Hebrews and you're like, I am going to live up to that standard. You just watch me live up to that standard. So these are people who typically find their identity in achievement and winning and reaching goals and proving to everyone and to themselves that they are successful. So if you've been watching the Michael Jordan doc on ESPN, which you might be because there's no other sports on TV these days, if you haven't noticed. So if Michael Jordan were, were reading this passage in Hebrews, I'd imagine that he would respond in pure self-determination. You just watch me live up to that standard. And when I meet people like this, you know, the optics of, the optics of that of self-determination looks spiritual and mature at first glance. But the problem is that when the, the gospel says that we can never be self-determined enough to live up to God's standards. People whose lives are just kept in orbit by their own self-determination and their ability to live up to their own standards or to the standards of others, that's not a gospel-centered approach to life. Because what keeps your life in orbit is Jesus and what he's done on your behalf, not living up to your own standards. What's intended to motivate our hearts is the favor of God in the message of the gospel, which is way, way different than being motivated by being a self-determined winner. So you can, number three, you can also respond in despair. And if there is any trap that I tend to fall into, it's this one when I read passages like this. So you read a passage like this in Hebrews and all you can think and feel is, I totally suck. I always knew that I sucked, but now I really know that I suck and I'm always going to suck and even God thinks I suck. Great. So you just fall into this, this despair trap. If you want to call that the condemnation trap, you can call it that too. But sometimes when people say things like that, 
Again, the optics of that can sometimes look spiritual and mature at first glance. It's like, oh, they don't think more highly of themselves than they are. They're pretty humble people. But it's actually not spiritual and mature. Because what you're doing is that you're fixing your eyes on your own performance and your own goodness, as opposed to fixing your eyes on Jesus and how he's performed for you on your behalf through his goodness. Like, you are totally right. You are worse than you think. But you are more loved than you can imagine. You're right. Your sin is so bad that Jesus had to die, and that's pretty bad. But you are so loved that Jesus was happy to die for you. Or fourth, you can respond through the gospel. You can respond through the gospel. So when we see a confrontational passage like this through the lens of the gospel, you start seeing it for what it is, and that what it is is it's a gracious invitation. It's a gracious invitation. Because by believing the gospel, we're freed from driving around in the endless cul-de-sacs of pride and self-determination and despair. And instead, our hearts are freed to obey him out of the overflow of his favor. So when we, we read a passage like this in Hebrews that says one way or another that we're wrong and we need to change, he's saying that as a good father who infinitely loves us and infinitely favors us because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, God isn't your enemy anymore. He's your good and loving and infinitely patient father. So because of the good news of the gospel, we don't need to be like, we don't need to be shot blocking or fall into the trap of despair or like the trap of self-determination when it comes to like reading a, a confrontational passage like this. Instead, we can see this passage in Hebrews as being invita an invitation and not as a shaming or a scolding or a guilting or a standard that, man, you need to live up to this if you are going to have my favor. And just as a side note, you know, the process of, be of coming to see God as a good father and rightfully seeing passages like this in Hebrews 5 and 6 as being an invitation, that's not something that tends to happen inst instantaneously. Like, learning to see God as he, um, learning to see God like that is usually a gradual process over time because our hearts are more like crockpots than microwaves when it comes to this kind of stuff. So just have patience with yourself with this kind of, those kind of things. So here are two questions I'm going to leave you with, and these are also listed in the worship guide as well. But So the first one is, how do you typically respond to confrontational passages in the Bible, like Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 3. How do you typically respond to confrontational passages like this? Is it through pride, self-determination, despair? Do you see them as an invitation through like um, understanding who God is through the gospel and what he's done? Like, well, why is that? Like, why is your heart operational like that? And two, um, what is God inviting you into as you read Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 3? What is God inviting you into as you read Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 3? Because 
the big picture point of this passage is that it's time to stop eating the baby food and it's time to start eating the big kid food. That's the analogy that the author uses here. In an invitational way, he's saying that now is the time to grow in the gospel. Now is the time for that. Now is the time to take your next step in spiritual maturity. Like now is the time for that. And not later, like, oh man, like when the global pandemic is over or my life has some kind of normalcy or I'm not working at home or when I have a routine or, you know, because you go through every stage in life that you go through, there's going to be something in that stage of life that says, well, maybe later. But what this passage is saying is that now is the time for that. When God's inviting you into that, What's he inviting you into? What's God inviting you into when, you, when reading that? And that's something that you need to pray about and ask God about, and then talk to someone else about it this week. And whether that person lives in your house, and maybe that, or maybe that person lives not in your house. So, so from here, you can jump into the rest of the worship guide, and thanks for listening, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week.